Hello, hello. Welcome back to Toto Football. Today I'm with Ryan Dilks, who is a host of the Second Tier Podcast. If you don't know who that is, this is one of the best, if not the best, when it comes to an EFL Championship podcast. How are you doing, mate? I'm great, mate. Pleasure to be here. How's the season going for you? Enjoying what you're seeing in the Championship? Yeah, well, we're we're now at the business end of the season. I always think once we get past the last international break of the season, it's officially the business end. And looking at the championship table, it's set up very nicely. So now I'm just ready to get back into it because it feels like this international break has gone on for way too long. And now I just want to crack on again with the championship and just see what happens, really. Let it all unravel. Even this weekend coming back, there's various derbies going on, big rivalries, Mm. battles from the top and the bottom of the table. We'll probably be talking about promotion race the relegation battle and a bit about the efl odors in this episode so i hope you guys do really enjoy be sure to give this a follow if you do well jumping straight into the promotion race with two teams automatically promoted and four teams battling the playoffs for that last promotion spot there's always a lot up for grabs we got burnley who are miles clear at the top of the table something we don't see too much until maybe april may but we've seen it since about january february they've probably automatically secured promotion already how impressed have you been with Vincent Company and Burnley this season? Well, I mean, ridiculously impressed. When he came in, I think I was a bit sceptical because when he was at Anderlecht beforehand, his record there wasn't incredible by any means. So when they were so keen to bring him in, I was a bit like, oh, I don't know why they've tried to do this. And they obviously sold many big players in the summer, the likes of Dwight McNeil amongst Nick Pope and so many so many players who have been there for years as well. So I, I was a bit sceptical about how Burnley would do this season, but I mean, they've just blown away the whole league. I think at this stage, they've got the second most points ever at championship level, which is just remarkable. And to say that they're still within a shout of getting the 106-point record, um, at this stage of the season, it's just wow. So for me, they're probably the best championship side I've ever seen. I will add in the caveat that the Reading side of 2005-06, I was 12 when <laughs> they were around, so I don't really remember them too well. But still, considering how much Burnley have dominated games, how they've done it in such style. I mean, Vincent Company has completely changed the style of play. Now that this sexy-to-watch team when before under Sean Dyke, yeah. obviously not that. Um, and he's had to integrate oh, essentially a whole new squad. So you've given him this huge to-do list at Burnley and he's ticked them all off in a matter of weeks. And that's why they've just been so brilliant this season and they've walked off with the league. They, everyone else has been like, no, you can't do that. You can't walk <laughs> off with the league. And they've just, they've just said, see you later, lads. And they've gone back to the Premier League at a canter, really. Yeah, I think it is such credit to company when you do see that turnaround of squad that they have had to do it's been mental because I think when you see one of these sides like Burnley come down you think they're getting promoted again because they still have that squad kind of from last season but it really was a whole turnover from defence to attack a lot more youth is coming into the side the low knee signing of Nathan Teller has been huge for them they'll probably be trying to get him on a permanent next season so it has it has been crazy of course when they get up it's going to be completely different company's star might have to change a little bit do you think he has the tools to keep Burnley in the Premier League next season oh yeah definitely I think if you took this current Burnley side and plopped it into the Premier League I think they'd stay up quite easily to be honest a lot is going to depend on 
how many of the loan players they get back in the summer. I think they'd quite like to have Nathan Teller back in the team. A lot more depend on what how Southampton do, whether they get relegated or not. Taylor Harwood-Bellis has, for me, arguably been their player of the season. It'll be interesting to see whether he's still at Man City next season or whether he moves elsewhere. Uh, Ian Markson's another one who's on loan from Chelsea. has been fantastic and there's been reports in the last couple of weeks about him maybe moving to Burnley on a permanent deal so it'd be interesting to see who they get back out of them I think they'll need to get a striker in the summer as well they've signed a lad called Lyle Foster big South African really paid seven million pounds or six million pounds for hasn't really got going yet so unless he does something very impressive in the last few weeks of the championship season. I think they'll have to get another striker. Maybe they'll have to get another striker, even if Foster does it improve. So a lot will depend on the business they do, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Burnley do something similar to what Fulham have done this season and finish in the top half, because there are some poor teams at the lower end of the Premier League table, and Burnley are better than them quite easily. So I think Burnley will definitely stay up next season, whether they do something similar to what Fulham have done Next season, I think, will depend on the business they do in the summer. But I haven't really got any worries about them being in danger of going down next season, I don't think. With a lot of these teams now, actually, in the Championship, it's more you're worrying about the season after the one they get promoted, which is a crazy shift. But teams like Fulham, you're saying, even Forest, I know they're struggling a bit lower down. But they are managing to compete a lot more than promoted teams used to, which I think is showing how the gap between the top division and the second division between them top teams is reducing quite a lot because you're getting the lower teams of the Premier League maybe struggling quality-wise. Then you're getting these sides getting promoted who have kind of got a five-year plan, possibly, some of them. Definitely like when we saw Brentford and Brighton get promoted. They had a whole plan in place for if they got promoted. So it's it's really interesting to see. <laughs> there is definitely a lot of rubbish in the Premiership, probably like my team Palace at the moment, but, you know, that's a... <laughs> That's another story for another day. Obviously, we've got these automatic promotion spots, but we've got Borough and Sheffield United still battling it out for second place, which is probably a surprise to many because come January, it looked like Burnley and Sheffield United were going to be plain sailing the whole league. However, we've also got the playoffs with sixth place Millwall taking up the last playoff spot. They're only around seven points away from Preston in 12th at the time of recording. There are so many teams able to get promoted at the moment. And this is why everyone loves the championship. With so many teams in that third to 12th battle, do you see a really exciting final day where the playoff positions change quite a lot? I think it'd be interesting in both the automatic promotion race and the playoff race. I think what we'll see with the playoff race is it will start to thin out as things go on. I think, for me, I can't see Sunderland and Preston getting into it, even though they don't look that far away in the table. I struggle to see them building up enough momentum to get back into it, really. So I think you're looking at the top 10 who are still, you know, vying it out for a playoff place. And some of those teams have looked a bit off it recently. You look at Norwich and Watford in particular, who, considering... The players that they've got at their disposal, you'd expect them to be playing a lot better. They have, Norwich have been getting results on the board somewhat, so they're still quite close to the playoff race, but I can't say I've been too impressed with them actually watching them. So I'm not too sure about Norwich. Watford I'm very concerned about, and I think their playoff push may be fading because Chris Wilder hasn't really had much of an impact there at all. He's only had three games so far, but they were all against teams who have been really struggling this season, I can't remember who they are off the top of head. I think it's Birmingham, Wigan, and someone else. 
So that's a very easy first three games. And the fact he's only got four points from those first three games is concerning. But nonetheless, top two is going to be really, really interesting. You quote right at January time. I just assumed that Burnley and Sheffield United were up. But Sheffield United have done their utmost best to keep it interesting. They have not been playing as well as they were earlier in the season. They look more scared to take risks. And that has led to them dropping some value valuable points and led to Middlesbrough catching up. Uh, Middlesbrough have been exceptional since Michael Carrick came in and they're yeah. going to keep up that pressure right up until the final day of the season. So I am siding more towards Middlesbrough, despite Sheffield United having a game in hand. But it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that ends up going. Uh, as for the playoff race, I mean, it's still very open, isn't it? Um, I think Luton will be in there. Blackburn, Millwall, not too sure about. Millwall have been very consistent throughout the season, so they may hold on to a place. I've infamously not been too convinced about Blackburn this season, which has led to me being the ire of Blackburn fans, and they've got some very, very tough games remaining. So it's going to be very interesting. The playoff race is always very interesting because you've got so many teams who can realistically look at that and say, yeah, we still fancy our chances. But I think... As the season progresses and we get to the 44th, 45th game week mark, it may be a, at the stage where there's only one or two teams outside of the playoffs who still have a realistic chance of getting in there. Yeah, I think that's fair. And to go back on your Wilder point there, I think it was QPR the other game that he played. I think that was his it first was. one. And QPR doing so bad as they are this season, that was probably a shock for his first game as a new manager you don't expect to lose one of them ones especially with the way the two are placed in the table mm-hmm. I, i'm loving the battle between Burr and sheffield united and i really think it's a tale of two different squads i feel like sheffield united have a very good quality squad they've kept a lot of their premier league players some of them like burge they are better probably than the championship but i think Burr is a lot to do with how carrick has kind of managed them i think paul heckenbottom to me i i don't know yet i'm still undecided on him as a manager I think Carrick is doing a lot more when it comes down to the managerial job because I don't think his squad is as good as Sheffield United. And I think it'd be a great story to see if them just clip Sheffield United to second place, to be honest. I'd love it. You also brought Luton up in there. We've got to bring them up because they've come from nothing to a very solid championship tough side. Many are probably surprised with how comfortable they found it this season to kind of battle for the playoffs. They even were in the playoffs last season. How impressed have you been with Rod Edwards coming in? And also, how impressed have you been with like the running of this club? I mean, it's the best-run club in the country for me. Just because how they've managed to get to where they are on a shoestring budget, it's just remarkable. You think of some of the budgets that, you know, Watford, <laughs> Luton's big rivals have, and other clubs like your Norwich's and what have you. Clubs who are all below Luton in the table and must have a budget which is probably about three or four times the size of Luton's. It's it's remarkable how well run they are as a club. And I think the biggest surprise for me this season is how Rob Edwards has seamlessly taken over the Nathan Jones project because before Nathan Jones was the heartbeat of the club, really. And the time that he wasn't at the club was the season that Luton were fighting to stay up in the championship and probably the one where they struggled the most over the past seven years now so when Rob Edwards came in I think me and plenty of other people were a bit like hmm I'm not sure how this is going to go but I mean it's been (laughs) it's been like nothing's changed really they've been playing more entertaining football as well they've 
Rob Edwards has been known for the time that he was at Forest Green for playing this uh, on the front foot attacking football. And they've started to go towards that away from the Nathan Jones system, which was a bit more direct, but was all about the industry as well. Now it's like the best of both worlds in uh, this current Luton team. And I think they'll comfortably finish in the playoffs now. And heading into the playoffs, that's always a good place to be in because you've got all those teams trying to vie out for the final few playoff spots. You've got Middlesbrough, Sheffield United, who will be probably battling each other right to the wire for the top two spot. And then Luton may have secured a playoff place with five or four games to go and be like, no, just take it easy, lads. And then they can head into the playoffs completely fresh, which is a very good position to be in, isn't it? So, I mean, Rob Edwards has done a sterling job and... I don't think that can be credited enough because it could have very easily gone completely wrong. But I think only Middlesbrough and Burnley have picked up more points since the turn of the year than Luton. So, I mean, that speaks a lot for itself, doesn't it? Luton are just such a well-run club and bringing in Edwards has been another showing of how well-run they are as a football club. You never know. They are already six points away from second at the moment. I know it'd be a very big ask, but it would be mental if they somehow got that second spot. But even if not, I think the playoffs are comfortable for them. You're so right about Rob Edwards, because I think when he got sacked by Watford, everyone was like, oh, why did he leave for a screen? He got them promoted. He could have had that League One season with them, kind of carried on with them. Obviously, he looked for a bigger and better job, which makes a lot of sense. Was a risk with Watford. And I think Luton even taking him on was a bit of a risk just because of what happened at Watford and it just wasn't mm. coming together, especially the style of play. It's completely different to what he's managed to do at Luton. Really, really good. And you've only got to credit this club because they keep on achieving more and more season on season. And yeah, it was kind of a feeling like it was due to Nathan Jones and despite him having that little stint away at Stoke, but they just carry on doing what they're doing. And if they did get promoted, it would be so interesting to see how they go about it. Obviously, they won't have the funds of some of these bigger teams. They'd have to really try and, you know, battle. But I think they do it really, really well. Moving on, we've obviously talked a lot about the promotion race there, but we've also got a huge relegation battle. 23rd in the league, which is second bottom, and 16th are only separated by around 10 to 12 points at the time of recording. Reading could also get dragged further back than they already are because... They could get a six-point deduction before the end of the season. So hard to say. One of the teams has probably already gone, but which three teams do you see going down? Well, I assume the team that you think has already gone is Wigan, uh, which is completely understandable. I think Sean Maloney's done a really good job there since coming in. But the fact, I think they've only won one game since he's come in, says a lot about how big a mountain they've got to try and conquer, to try and stay up. So... I don't see Wigan staying up at this point. Blackpool have been very underwhelming for me because they did some unbelievable business in January, bringing in the likes of Morgan Rogers and Josh Bowler. Yet it's just not really happened for them so far with Mick McCarthy coming in as well. Uh, Huddersfield have been pretty woeful since (laughs) Neil Warnock came in. And I mean, they've been pretty woeful all season, to be honest. But since Neil Warnock came in, They've not really had any form of a bounce. And then suddenly they picked up a massive snatch and grab win against Millwall just before the international break, which by snatch and grab, I mean, it was a real snatch and grab. (laughs) Millwall really should have won that game. Um, So I think those three teams are very poor. And if they were to go down, they would thoroughly deserve to go down. It's interesting, though, because you have got some teams outside who are doing their utmost best to try and keep it interesting. Reading have been really poor since the turn of the year. And as you quite rightly say, with the 
six point deduction that's seemingly coming i don't know why it's not happened yet but yeah. it's seemingly on the way that throws them into the mire massively i would say they're not at bigger risk as qpr though just because qpr are an absolute freefall i can't recall a team who has had as much of a freefall in the time that i've been covering the championship like qpr mm. have i mean they were top of the table in october i think and now yeah are in serious danger of going down. They've only won two games, I think, since October, which is, I mean, yeah. make of that what you will. And I think they've conceded the most goals in that time. I think they've scored the fewest goals in that time. They have got players to come back from injury, but still, the morale at that club is so low right now. So it's going to be really difficult for Gareth Ainsworth to turn things around. And then you've got Rotherham and Cardiff in there as well. Two teams who are right in it, but are probably being overlooked as relegation candidates. I think Rotherham will be okay, mainly because I've got more worries about other teams than I have them. And I think they'll just manage to consistently pick up enough results to see themselves over the line. Cardiff have been better since Sabri Lamushi came in, but still have a lot of work to do and should not be discounted at all from going down. So it's going to be one of those, if, if it's not one of those bottom three who go down it's going to be one of the bottom four I can't see Birmingham or Swansea getting dragged into it at this point I just, I just think they're fine now um, I, if I had to choose one of the teams outside the bottom three to go down it would be QPR just because as I say that free fall is I, I don't see a parachute coming anytime soon to stop them from dropping into yeah. the bottom three and it's really really bad how how shocking they've been recently. <laughs> I know, obviously, the manager change. Is that what you put it down to, the QPR free fall, or is there a lot more to it? It's really put, difficult to put your finger on one thing at QPR that's gone completely wrong, because basically their form has gone off a cliff ever since Mick Beale, the, the manager before Gareth Ainsworth, yeah. uh, the manager before the before the manager uh, before <laughs> Gareth Ainsworth, said that he was staying at the club. Ah, oh, I can't and believe that, it that all just went, Well, it just all went wrong since then. Then... He left to go to Rangers after losing so many games in a row. Neil Critley came in, didn't have any effect whatsoever, so he got sacked. And now Gareth Ainsworth has come in. I think injuries have definitely hindered them, but they've also been not helped by players massively dropping out of form, like Rob Dickey, for example, who before mm. was one of the best defenders in the championship, now looks a complete shadow of the man he used to be. And I don't think Ainsworth's style of play is massively helping at all because they've gone from playing some really nice football under Mick Beale to now just launching it up to Chris Martin. So I don't really know. And I don't know if the players coming back in are really going to help because they've got to get used to a completely different style of play. You've got Elias Chair and Chris Willock, who are the main players I'm thinking of who have got to come back from injury. Two very talented players and were arguably the best in their positions last season. Yet are they going to really take to Gareth Ainsworth's style of play when, you know, the ball's sailing over their heads? So, yeah, I, it's really difficult to say why QPR have gone so bad, but I'm not sure it's going to get fixed anytime soon. I didn't know what to think of the Gareth Ainsworth signing. Did Obviously, you look a lot more into the championship. Did you see it at the time? I know hindsight you can obviously predict, but at the time, did you see that that was a good way for QPR to go? Well, Gareth Ainsworth, when he was with Wickham, last time they were in the championship, they were so long ball. Mm. Like it, it would make Tony Pulis blush how <laughs> long ball they are. And that was my immediate concern with that appointment because it's a very drastic change in style to go from, you know, Mark Warburton literally a year ago to Gareth Ainsworth. 
And I didn't think they had the players to really suit a Gareth Ainsworth style of play. And ultimately, I think that's one reason why they are struggling. Gareth Ainsworth, QPR legend, was a great servant for the club and will maybe be given a bit more time than Neil Critchley did. But still, it's he's he's got a huge job on his hands and things like the hacker video, which has been doing the yeah. rounds on Twitter, doesn't look great in hindsight now, <laughs> considering he's only won one game and lost all the rest since he's come in. So, yeah. I do like Gareth Ainsworth as a as a man. He he comes across as a really top bloke, um, but I mean he's been trying to get this big move to a, a bigger championship, a bigger club than Wickham for quite some time, and this isn't a great way to show that he is a good manager considering how well it's gone so far. Yeah, and I do think the players they've got there, you said Dicky, but also Willock as well. I really like Elias Chair. They're definitely better than relegation battling in the championship, and yeah, they will be key for them towards the end of the season, won't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, injuries haven't helped because they've had to play a couple of young lads recently who haven't really had a go before at first team level and it's quite a harsh environment for them to come into. So maybe when players are back from injury, they may get enough results on the board to get over the line, but it's hard not to be alarmed at how bad they've been recently. Earlier as well, we spoke about Red in there possibly getting a six-point deduction, not really knowing why it's not happened yet. But we always see kind of season by season our team, the championship, go through these financial penalties, sometimes leads to their relegation. We've seen Sheffield Wednesday go through it in the past, Derby last season, Reading this season, Wigan also this season. Wigan have already been deducted three points and Stephen Calker did a LinkedIn post, could you believe, basically slating the club saying they've not been getting paid and all this. I don't think they're training at the moment. I might be wrong on that. But it's very messy there. This is a repetitive issue in the championship, despite the EFL having like a fit and proper or owners and directors test, which is applied to directors and prospective directors of English football clubs to ensure those appointed are appropriate people to act as directors at these football clubs. To me, it's clearly not working. Is this test that the EFL got doing enough to prevent this happening more and more in the future? Well, the Wigan players are now trading again. They basically refuse to do it while they weren't getting paid, which is understandable. I I wouldn't have to work if I wasn't getting paid. The fit and proper test is, I think it's been a bit more, uh, it's been a lot less lenient recently because I think the EFL has realised there's a lot of eyes on that test now, Mm. which is led to other it's led to you know people have tried to take over football clubs in the last couple of seasons not being able to get that far so a good example of that is uh, an american businessman called chris kirchner who tried to take over derby county when they were nearly at the point of oblivion last summer the fit and proper test had a good right look into him and you fast forward to a couple of months ago and he's been facing all sorts of federal charges over in america apologies if i've got that wrong but he's definitely in trouble with the law i can say that much so that that was a good example of the fit and proper test working and now you look at it in present day with sheffield united they've got uh an african businessman uh dozy mabusi who's trying to take over the club and there have been numerous concerning reports about him which make you raise eyebrows and now the fit and proper test is doing a right good look into how legit this guy actually is and the FL have submitted questions to him but he apparently hasn't answered them yet which is 
interesting, but we'll leave that there. <laughs> but it looks like it looks like the EFL have learned a lesson somewhat about the fit and proper test. I mean, it's not a great example with Wigan where they were admitted in administration, got taken over by their current owners, and literally less than two seasons later, they failed to pay the wages five times in the space of a year. So that's not a good look for the fit and proper test. But I do think the AFL is learning. I think some of the examples that you raised, like, you know, Reading, Birmingham, Derby, were a bit before the AFL were taking it as seriously as they are now. And hopefully they've learned that this is why you've got to take the fit and proper test seriously, because otherwise you'll end up in a situation where Birmingham don't know who owns the club. Fans do not know who owns Birmingham City, which is just a mental situation to be in, but hopefully that gets sorted out soon. So, yeah, it it seems like the FL have learnt their lessons and that's all we can really ask them to do at the end of the day until an independent regulator comes in and makes them do things differently. So for the time being, I think it's all right what they're doing. Yeah. Sadly, sometimes it's a bit of trial and error has happened here. They've not dug into it as deeply as they probably should have in the past. And they've learned their lesson the hard way, which obviously you don't want to happen. But at least there are signs of improvement there. And it's not just they're carrying on the way they used to, to an extent. So it hopefully we see it less and less. Do you think there's kind of like a better way for clubs to be safeguarded aside from this test. Are you just saying the way that independent regulator coming in would be the best way to help safeguard it more? I th- I, I'm a big supporter of the independent regulator just because you've got to remember that EFL is ran by the football clubs themselves. And while they may be thinking they're acting in their best interests, recent history has shown that's not always the case. And that's especially the case with the Premier League as well, which is also run by the football clubs themselves and in more recent times we've seen it more and more where the elite clubs are trying to flex their muscles and you know swing things their own way at the expense of the clubs further down the pecking order so yeah the independent regulator has to come in and has to kind of change the whole funding system of the, the well English football in general I was going to say the EFL but just <laughs> English football in general having said that I think there needs to be more done for things like making sure that clubs don't go into administration and don't spend beyond their means because this was the problem before the EFL was given more money and then clubs used that as a great excuse to spend beyond their means and really <laughs> really bugger things up for the lack of <laughs> yeah. a better term so yeah that's why the the regulator needs to come in and needs to have a serious look at how we stop clubs from doing this whether it's a wage cap i don't know i think a wage cap could work if it's done correctly so it'll be interesting to see what does happen when that regulator comes in but i think it needs to come in sooner rather than later definitely agree with everything you said there right well we've spoken a bit about the efl there but let's move a bit back onto more positive signs and i'm going to say vincent company aside who are you putting down as your manager of the season in the championship so far? Oof. I mean, <laughs> manager of the season, I think it's pretty obvious who I go for. Ugh, manager of the season? Uh, I think it's got to be Michael Carrick, really. Yeah. Coming in with the situation that he had at Middlesbrough, I think many Middlesbrough fans would have taken nicking sixth place on the last day of the season. 
But the fact that they've now got a very realistic chance of getting top two is just ridiculous. I don't think anyone saw that coming because Middlesbrough were in a right state when he took over. Chris Wilder left them really in the lurch and uh, I think it was only going to end up with them moving up the table. I don't think they could have been any worse than they were considering how good the team was. But still, the the job he's done in such a short time is just truly remarkable. They look like they're, they're just such an entertaining side to watch. Middlesbrough fans now, when they go to games, they're heading there expecting a result and expecting a good day out. And that's very, very positive. And there's no, it's no wonder really that he's being linked with moves to Premier League clubs. I think Michael Carrick wins this award without Vincent Company, hands down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How impressed have you been as well with uh, Akpom? Well, I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just absolutely ridiculous because before this season, he'd, I think the highest amount of goals he'd managed in a championship or in, in, a, in a season in league football, English league football, was something like six goals. So the fact he's now on 24 goals for the season is just absolutely mind-blowing. And... Also, Ivan Tony and Alexander Mitrovic have kind of blurred the lines really on how good a goal tally is for a championship season. Because before then, the only player to have got 30 goals in a season was Glenn Murray yeah. at championship level. So Chibrakpom now has a decent chance of getting a 30 goal season. So for him to be at 24 goals at this stage is just remarkable. Nobody saw this turnaround come in. I think many Middlesbrough fans would have been too bothered if he left last <laughs> summer and now he's arguably been player of the season it's one of the greatest stories I've ever seen at championship level because it's truly remarkable how well he's done last few seasons he's just not been there obviously he had the Arsenal Academy hype to him but it just didn't he looked like another player who just couldn't make it at one of the premiership or the championship level but you know what sometimes you need a good coach to come in boost you even further and I think him and Carrick have been amazing for Borough this season. I agree with you when it comes to manager of season, aside from company, I'd be putting Carrick up there because I didn't see them battling for automatic promotion. And with the way the form's going, they look like the more likely side, to be honest. So it'll be really, really interesting. We've had manager of the season. We've obviously spoke about Akpon there, but who is your player of the season in championship? Ooh, that it's still... It's still a... I, I don't want to give too much away because obviously we've got our second tier awards, which happens uh, at the end yeah. of the season. So I, I don't want to throw that out there just yet. That's but I mean, there's definitely been there, there's definitely been contenders. You've got, you know, Tuber Agpom, who we just mentioned. Someone I think's had a really good season is Ollie Norwood at Sheffield United. In terms of doing what he's had to do, he's just been incredible. As far as deep-lying playmakers go, he's one of the best the championship has ever seen and his statistical numbers this season have just been remarkable and then Victor Jokerez at Sheffield United's had a remarkable season with the number of goals that he's scored he just seems to be getting better and better Eliman Endai who's really impressed me at Sheffield United as well Taylor Harwood Bellis has been exceptional at Burnley I think he's been Burnley's best player of the season to be honest uh, Nathan Teller uh, as well as had, had a very good season at Burnley yeah. there, there, there's so many players who have stood out for me this season I, I don't want to give an individual answer but they're the some of the players who are in my thinking for play of the season. I mean, Josh Brownhill's another one actually at Burnley who's had a really <laughs> good season. There's plenty, plenty of players who are going to be in there amongst the conversation. I have got one player in mind, but I don't want to give that away. That's perfectly fine. You can tell me after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With Jokeres, 
I don't see Coventry getting promoted or anything this season. Do you see him getting a big move in the summer? Because he's been linked to Everton, I think West Ham, Brentford, maybe Palace. I won't rule out Coventry just yet because I think their form has really picked up recently. It wouldn't surprise me to see them finish in the top six. Yeah. Whether they actually won the playoffs or not is another question. But Jokerez is he's destined to play in the Premier League next season, whatever happens, I think. Just because he he's not your average championship striker because we've seen so many players over the years who have scored a lot of goals at championship level Timmy Pukki is a good example of someone who scores a lot of goals creates a, f- a few chances as well but doesn't really offer too much else to a team whereas Victor Jacarez just leads the line perfectly scores goals for fun is more than happy to set up his teammate when it comes to holding up the ball I think he's absolutely remarkable because if you ping the ball up to him on the halfway line he can dribble to the opposition box and create something out of nothing. He's strong, he's quick, he's really got it all. And that's what really makes him stand out to me as someone who will be a, a, a quite a good signing, a very good signing, in fact, for any Premier League team. So I expect him to be playing Premier League football and I think Coventry are kind of accepting at this point that if they don't go up, they will have to sell him mainly because I don't think Jokeres will be happy to stick around in the championship for much longer. Uh, but also, they're probably going to get a, a very good fee, which will just be too much to turn down. For sure, I see him definitely making that move as well, to be fair. It's it's great. I, I love the championship, but seeing these championship players make the move up and exceed into that level. But obviously, yeah, the whole podcast dedicated to the championship. How enjoyable is it to see some of these players you follow every week of the season make that move up and just continue to excel? It's great. It's one of the things I love most about being so championship centric because, I mean, how I think I'm right in saying of the England squad from this last international break, 19 of the players in there were playing at the EFL at some point in their career. Many of them have been playing very recently in the championship. Ivan Tony, for example, is, is a great example of that. And then he, just seeing these players make the step up because some people often overlook the championship as the second tier, but actually it's just, it's this massive breeding ground for the stars of the future. I mean, Jude Bellingham now, we saw him plenty when he was first <laughs> making his steps into senior football at Birmingham City. And now he's probably the most sought after player in world football. And it's just weird really when you see we we start off seeing Jude Bellingham at the very start of his career and where he goes now who really knows so I mean it's just great I I really enjoy it and then you know trying to pick out which players are going to be the stars of the future as well is always really exciting (laughs) for me so yeah it's one of the best bits about covering the championship. We've seen Premier League sides go there a lot more over recent years and that's just bringing the value up of these players because you're getting probably the same three or four teams battling for the same players multiple occasions in the transfer window. Players like Bowen who've made the move up, Ben Rama, Eze. These players have all been probably touted by like 10 teams in that division that season. And it is really interesting to see where they end up because that is a lot to do with helping them push on as well. I think Bowen, the move to West Ham was perfect for him, stuff like that. So yeah, as you said, it's great to see Bellingham, I couldn't believe that climb he's had. That was ridiculous because he was still, to a lot outside of loving the championship, he was still kind of an unknown name moving to Dortmund. And then just from then, 
he's pushed on and I think he's so essential to England's setup now. It's absolutely ridiculous. What did you think as well the other day? I think it was when he announced the squad. Southgate said he needs to be looking lower down for more left backs. I know Rico Henry got avoided out of that argument there, but do you see that being a possibility? Oh, I don't see why playing in the championship should be a barrier to playing for England. I, it, that's always been a mystery to me. Like some good examples, really, in recent years, Ivan Tony, when he was banging in goals for fun, I don't see why he shouldn't have been called up to the England squad when he was doing that, because there weren't many other English strikers around at the time who were in as good form as he is, or he was, sorry. So he he's an example, and now he's playing in the in the England team anyway. So it seems like he was just delaying the inevitable in that respect. Another example was Calvin Phillips. At the time, when he was playing so well for Leeds, England had Declan Rice and no one else really as a holding midfielder. So why just restrict yourself to the a handful of divisions in Europe? I, it don't make sense to me. And I, I think Gareth Southgate should look down further into the championship if that's where the talent lies. I mean, Ryan Giles, for example, at Middlesbrough, has had a remarkable season. He's got the most assists in the championship, has been one of the stars of this Middlesbrough climb up the table. So why not call him up? If there aren't that many options there, then don't be afraid to do that because I think Ryan Giles will be one of those players who will be playing Premier League football in the next couple of seasons anyway, and then probably won't be too far off the England's setup anyway. So you may as well, you know, do it now instead of just waiting for them to do it in a in a couple of seasons' time. So yeah, if Gareth Southgate wants to do that, hats off to him. I think it'd be very brave of him to do that because there have been so many players who just haven't had the chance to play in the Premier League but have been deserving, in my mind, of being in England settled. Looking at Giles there, like 11 assists, 63 chances created for an attacking left-back who would suit a Southgate style, maybe not straight away, but if we needed to fall back on, if like a chill sure aren't available, he's definitely one who could come in. And I think there needs to stop being this fear of, oh, we're dropping down to a level to accommodate, to pick up a player, because it's not to do with that. It's just to do with the quality of player we're seeing multiple players a season move up to the Premier League anyway. So if they're good enough, they're good enough. That's the argument really done <laughs> done and dusted, to be fair. Exactly. Exactly. You're spot on. Well, been a huge episode there. Championship fans do get in touch with me on Twitter at underscore Toto Football and let me know what you think about all our opinions on the EFL and the championship this season. It's been a smashing episode with Ryan from the Second Tier Pod. Would you like to say anything else before you go, mate? Well, yeah, if you want to listen to more episodes of the second tier, then have a search for us on Spotify, Apple, whichever streaming platform you listen to us on. We do episodes every Sunday and Thursday. So, yeah, jump along. It's the business end of the season. This is now the best time to start listening to the second tier. So uh, if you haven't listened to us before, then get in touch. Yeah, yeah, definitely give them a listen. I'm Luke Weasel Seychelles. Be sure to follow. Give this episode a good review if you've enjoyed. We will see you later.